0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 155 Grove Park. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week we're talking about Grove Park, a neighborhood that is growing increasingly more familiar to Atlantans because of Microsoft, the Westside Quarry Park and issues of gentrification, just to name a few. And I initially I was gonna do this as a combo episode with Rockdale Park, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, Turns out Grove Park has a lot of history to share, so I couldn't even cover it all if I wanted to. And so I'm gonna do a mini episode in the future that covers the new park. Um, There's really a lot to talk about there. And then we'll talk about the eradication of Rockdale Park later. Before we get into this history, let's make sure that we all know the area I'm talking about. So current day Grove Park is pretty large. It's bounded on the south by Joseph E. Boone Boulevard, um, the west by a small tributary of Proctor Creek. The east side boundary is Chapel Road. And then the northern boundaries go above Donnelly Hollowell Parkway and then essentially into the west side Reservoir Park. The story of Grove Park begins with its namesake, Edwin Wiley Grove. He was born in 1850 in Whiteville, Tennessee, and he worked as a pharmacy clerk and then later a store manager. He would go on to build his own legacy with the Paris Medicine Company, known for its Groves Tasteless Chill Tonic, which was created in 1885 and used as a fever remedy. And then later in 1896, he created the laxative bromoquinine tablet, um, which was like an early cold medicine. Now, patent medicines of the late 1800s are seriously its own episode topic, uh, but this was a time ripe with pseudoscience, not a lot of medical facts. That did not stop these men from amassing huge amounts of wealth. We are talking about millions of dollars. And Edwin was one of those really successful people. He married his first wife, Mary Louisa Moore, in 1875. They had two children, Evelyn and Irma. His first wife died in 1884, and then he later married Gertrude Matheson in 1886. And so he had uh, four, three, three children with her, um, Hallett, Edwin Jr., and Helen, who died in infancy. When Edwin Grove visited Atlanta in January of 1903, it was big news. Headlines were laced with rumors that it was practically a certainty that the Paris Medicine Company was going to invest $200,000 here. Now, while Grove did meet with the Chamber of Commerce, he also was quietly purchasing several large tracts of land. He purchased 25 acres near Pont Springs. Uh, this would eventually become Atkins Park. He purchased 20 acres in Bellwood, today Bankhead area. He purchased 20 acres on Peachtree Street and then a quote unquote large tract on the river car line four miles from the city. And so the goal of all of these land purchases was to develop them into residence parks. Now, the River Line was the last Atlanta streetcar line. It ran from 1892 to 1949. And it went from downtown Atlanta via Marietta Street over the Jones Avenue Bridge to the English Avenue neighborhood. And then it kind of went from there. It went on two routes. One of them is today's Joseph E. Boone. And then the other um, via today's Cameron Alexander. And both of these went out to Bellwood. By November of 1904, some of these development goals were underway. Atkins Park had been laid, the streets were being constructed, and Grove was actually in the middle of a legal fight with Fulton County because uh, they took a lot of his land to widen Ponce de Leon without compensating him for it. In July of 1905, the first plat of what would become Grove Park was filed, and its name was West Atlanta Park. And it was really small. So this was pretty much just Evelyn Place, uh, named for his first wife, of course. And that was at the intersection of what was then called Mason's and Turner's Ferry Road. So today it's Hollowell. West Atlanta Park was marketed as the, quote, new suburban residence park, end quote, with 10 beautiful homes for sale located on the river car line, 20 minutes from the center of the city, over 190 acres. There was a guy named Captain J.T. Mills who lived there. He was happy to show anyone around. Like the newspaper truly was like, just go out and ask for him. Uh, there was also a new church. Uh, there was a schoolhouse being built. And they marketed the pharaoh phosphate Springs, which were in the center of the park and would, quote, cure any case of stomach or kidney trouble, no matter how long standing. end quote. The following year, the ads were still being pushed, touting the first month free and have occupied for one year, two more months given. I think this is in regards to mortgages. And, quote, none but good families will be allowed in these houses, end quote. We all know what that means. The schoolhouse I just mentioned was completed in 1907. It was made of granite and funded entirely by Mr. Grove himself at a cost of $5,000. It had a capacity for 120 students, but it only typically enrolled about 80. So this was not Atlanta at the time. So it was considered a Fulton County school, and the teachers were responsible for almost everything. In the first two years, they added 80 new books uh, to the library. They secured a piano, and they planted 12 trees. The best part about this building is that most of the structure is still standing at the very end of Elizabeth Place and it's been turned into a private residence. So the neighborhood was identified as West Atlanta Park until at least 1910. Uh, We see mention of Groves Park in that year. Also in 1916, there's it's just kind of confusing. Like the names seem to fluctuate. There was a really quirky little story from 1910 about this like house raffle scheme gone wrong. So there was Mr. and Mrs. Bernard. They decided they were going to raffle off their $12,000 granite home, which was at 15 Edwin Place, to a winning ticket holder. Now somehow no one thought this was weird. But (laughs) Mr. Bernard is the manager of a southern auction and salvage house, and so he touts you know the house is filled with uh, rare antiques. and Oriental rugs, and everything in here is worth $7,000 alone. So tickets are $1. You can buy them at drugstores across the city. And they sell 10,000 tickets across Atlanta. 10,000 tickets. And the winner is going to be chosen and announced at the Ponce de Leon Park baseball game. So the big day comes. They pull out ticket number 2723. And it turns out that ticket belongs to a Mr. Le Cavalier from new york so he's not in atlanta he's not even at the baseball game unsurprisingly everyone is pissed and everybody starts asking for their money back and to make matters worse it turns out that cavalier or le cavalier is mrs bernard's brother so this whole scheme crumbles really quickly. Uh, Mrs. Bernard like tries to sell the house. Here's a court injunction against it. There's 146 Atlanta plaintiffs that bring criminal charges against the Bernards, along with about seven other people uh, that were involved in this scheme. Now, because Mr. Bernard had mailed some raffle tickets to Virginia, it's actually considered um, improper use of the mail, and so he's federally sentenced. So If you're asking, I did go to look for this house. It does not exist anymore, but it's still a great story. In 1912, the plat for Fortified Hills was recorded in Fulton County. And so this included a much larger area, including Alta, Eugenia, Emily, Louise, Margaret, Edwin, and Charlotte places. Um, And a lot of people ask about these names. The assumption is that Grove named the streets for his wives, daughters, and granddaughters, and that partially checks out. So Elizabeth was his mother, uh, Gertrude was his second wife, and he did have a daughter named Evelyn and a son named Edwin. But then it kind of stops there. So I did not find the other street names in his immediate family. So, you know, maybe they were his friends. Maybe he liked them. I'm not sure. As for the Fortified Hills name, um, the story there that I've read and heard from others is that the area was heavily fortified during the Civil War, especially the Battle of Atlanta in 1864. And so the teachers at the Grove Park School actually said that their students would come in from the woods behind the building, like with just tons of Civil War relics, um, you know, ammunition, just everything. Around 1912, there was an ad that uh, Terman Black and Calhoun, as a development company, was building eight new houses, and they were also installing water mains in fortified hills. And the neighborhoods advertised um, this section as, quote, a beautiful suburb on the river car line where a man of limited means, or the salaried man, could easily live close to the city but away from the noise and the bustle, end quote. That's kind of what Grove Park was. It was OTP, which sounds kind of fun to think about, and it was a bastion for middle-class white Atlantans. By 1916, there were more and more building permits issued for homes and installation of water mains along Hollywood Road. The Grove Park Civic League was established. Um, There was later a Fortified Hills Improvement Club. There was a lot of Sandlot baseball. Um, Still trying to work out a Sandlot baseball episode because it's really interesting. But they played their rivals, Center Hill, uh, which was a neighboring community. And then during this time, the school continued to grow, first led by the very first teacher and now the principal, Lena Cox. In 1930, plans were drawn by architects Daniel and Butel for a new school building that would have 20 rooms, an auditorium, a library, a cafeteria, and it would be built on a five-acre lot off Bankhead Highway on Evelyn Place. It was the PTA that pushed really hard to name this after Lena. They were successful, and so Mrs. Cox was the principal here until, I think, 1955, um, shortly after it became the City of Atlanta School. With these new residents came churches, uh, beginning with outdoor tent revivals. So in 1913, Baptists had held a series of outdoor revivals in a large lot on Evelyn Place that was actually given to them by Edwin Grove. And after converting like 45 new members, they're like, "Okay, we need a church building. Uh, So they actually named it Fortified Hills Baptist. There's also a Bethany Methodist uh, that was founded in 1915. For many years, they met in congregants' homes. Uh, then they rented out a small room in like a storehouse. And then in 1920, they were able to purchase a wood frame building that once belonged to Mr. Grove. Now, sadly, it suffered a huge fire in 1932. Uh, Apparently, there was a kid who was late to Sunday school. And as he's coming, like running in, he notices flames on the roof. And the pastor was able to save 80 people inside and four pianos. Now, the structure was unsalvageable. And this was apparently one of 23 other church fires reported or fires reported in the same weekend, which is very wild. And I feel like there's a history rabbit hole for me to go in there another time. There is a church on this site now. So it's the corner of Elizabeth uh, Place and Donnelly Hollowell. And that was actually used as classroom space in the 60s Grove Park Christian is another building. It's completed in 1938. It's at the corner of Hallowell and Francis Place. So this was designed by Frank Manning. Um, It was built with brick and limestone, and the structure still exists today, but there's a different congregation in it. In 1941, the Grove Park neighborhood got a community theater. And so this building is still there. A lot of people pass it because it's right on Hallowell. Um, It was a $60,000 motion picture house opened its doors with a showing of One Night in the Tropics, which starred Abbott and Costello. And it had room for 618 people built with a modernistic front uh, with a late type marquee. So it's a little bit undes- like nondescript when you look at the building and it's changed over the years. A lot have been has been removed. I was able to take a tour of this um, inside, I think, last year. It's really exciting to see that it's hopefully being restored um to to use by the community. and they think that the original neon tubing may still be in there. And while we're talking about something on Hallwell, this is a good time to talk about Bankhead. I still call it Bankhead Highway. and I, I mean, I came to Atlanta after it was renamed. Um, so there's something really interesting I learned when researching this episode, which is that Bankhead Highway or US-29, dates back to 1916. And it runs from San Diego, California to Washington, D.C. So many Georgia cities um, along the original route named it Bankhead and still call it Bankhead. The section through Grove Park was renamed to honor civil rights attorney Donald Lee Hollowell in the late 90s. Also in 1941, there was a bit of a drama over a 40-ish acre parcel of land near Westlake Avenue and Joseph E. Boone. So to discuss this, we have to talk about race. Up to this point, Grove Park was an exclusively white, middle-class suburb, still not in the city limits. And if you listen to the episode about residential bombings, you would know that this area, Center Hill, everything around it, was ground zero no pun intended, for this racialized violence that was intended to keep black families from purchasing homes. I've talked about the community groups that formed in order to kind of purchase this land in this house and maintain and then maintain this white majority. So in this part of Atlanta, there was the Westside Development Company and they formed to do just that. They owned this 40 acre site which they sold to Fulton County in what was described as a gentleman's agreement. And that agreement said that the county would use it to build a new almshouse. And again, things like cemeteries, almshouses, um, something for industrial use, they were used to create physical buffers between white and black residential developments. By 1950, it is clear that the county is not going to use this land, and instead they sell it to a Black real estate developer, and White Grove Park and surrounding residents lose their minds. Their claims were that the plans for the new high-rise efficiency apartments for Black Atlantans violated what they called the Green Belt Divider, which was an understood buffer zone that ran through these 40-ish acres. In 1952, Grove Park, along with several other neighborhoods, were annexed into the city of Atlanta. And studies leading up to this vote determined that the suburbs were growing faster than the city proper, with Buckhead, Grove Park, Adamsville, Cascade, and Ben Hill expanding 40-60% to in the previous nine years. And this large annexation was seen as the highlight of Hartsfield's term as mayor. Um, doing so dropped the black population in Atlanta from 41% to 33%. That's um, a whole other story I've talked about in many episodes before. Annexation, of course, was not a panacea to Grove Park residents express their feelings after being annexed. Um, they were like, you know, we, we've been going down to City Hall and we're asking for all these things we were promised for and yet still being ignored. Locally, residents continued to fight what they called Black encroachment, and in 1956, the Westside Development Company raised $30,000 to buy nine homes that were recently sold to Black people. At a meeting at the Lena Cox School, Mayor Hartsfield addressed a crowd of 250 people congratulating them for doing this legally and touted that he had even held a $100 subscription in the corporation. Not unlike the discussions going on in current Atlanta neighborhoods today, Grove Park residents sued to bar the building of apartments. And there was a 1959 article about the principal of Lena Cox um, took all the teachers out and like in a DIY history bus store. And he's like, look, kids, no liquor stores and no apartments. (laughs) And he was touting this as like, that was good. You know, like we've we've maintained this this magical place to live. And as we know, there was nothing that was going to stop white flight in Atlanta during the 60s and 70s. So by 1963, Lena Cox Elementary was switched from an all-white school to an all-black school. There were 400 white parents there to jeer at the school superintendent. But he explained, he's like, you know, only 470 pupils enrolled in the first week of school, The building has a capacity for 900 plus. Now, we also have four nearby black schools that were overcrowded. And so what they did was they took all of the white children of Grove Park, transferred them to Center Hill, and took any black child from Center Hill and transferred them back to Lena Cox. Weirdly enough, two years later, 1965, the same school burned to the ground in a four alarm fire. And this was the third school fire in a three-week period. And you better believe I put this in my notes to research this later. By 1967, a new school was in its place, um, which would eventually become Kip Woodson Park Academy. So this, um, they just built a brand new school. So the current Kip Academy is across from the theater, a, you know brand new building. This former school from the 60s, the building at least is vacant. So I'm really curious to see what they're planning there. In the 70s and 80s, Grove Park was a majority black neighborhood, and in 1981, there was actually a lot of search groups organized in the area to look for the missing and murdered children. And I don't mean to paint the last 40 or 50 years of Grove Park as some, like, bleak, no-history land. Um, I've definitely focused on the neighborhood's earliest history, and, you know, the 70s and 80s, all over Atlanta was really tough. If you drive through Grove Park today, there are clearly issues of blight, a lot of illegal dumping um, and disinvestment. And there are organizations that exist to try to sort through these issues. Um, the Beltline, the Proctor Creek Trail, the opening of Quarry Park, and the announcement of Microsoft's headquarters have really thrusted the neighborhood into the headlines. And so at least for me, it's a place I keep a close eye on. I live really close to it. I drive through there a lot and I just like to see how things are going to be handled and will they be handled equitably and you know how do we go about not displacing the people that have lived here for decades. All things above my pay grade. So there you have it. The story of Grove Park. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review where you listen to your podcast. You can also visit the Patreon link in the show notes uh, to support. Hope everyone has a great weekend and a great New Year's Eve. And I will talk to you in 2022.